Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Greetings and thank you. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, it's appropriate. It is appropriate. It's frankly appropriate. Yeah, it's true. Greetings. Welcome back User. to another exciting installment of the uh, Fifth Column Podcast. I'm Camille Foster, and I am I am so, so very sorry. It, I, I'm pretty sure it's my fault. We recorded an entire sure? episode yesterday. Who's, um, whose fault could it be? Dispatch. And I'm pretty sure I hit record. Matt says the software counted down. But literally, we have seven seconds of content from a two-plus-hour conversation. Dude, this is what happens when I don't show up. Yeah. Usually, I, I do things at FreeThink. I, I think this may be the first mistake I've ever made at anything in my life, and I am this, I'm struggling. I'm with sorry, what? Really objectively. Really challenging for me. Objectively. I'm different. sorry, what? But I am human. You know? I know it's, sometimes it doesn't then, seem like it, everybody. You know? How many, Monahan, how many struggle. mistakes do we – how many mistakes <laughs> – Let me do – Let me has, do yeah. Let me do my, impre- my new impression of Camille, my post-pandemic <laughs> impression of Camille. And by the way, I'm going to do it exactly in his voice. Okay. Yeah. Right? What is my voice? I want to hear this. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. <laughs> what? I didn't press record. I'm like, what? Wow. That's my voice? Yeah. That's yeah. my voice? That's, well, you get, that's what I hear. You get fired, Michael Moynihan of Vice. <laughs> that's what I hear. You get fired. What? Because that's what I hear? That's, I Got can't. It. You're right. That's, that's his truth. That's, I that's his truth. I want you to embrace your truth. Live your truth. Yeah. I, no one says it, but I'm going to be the first one to say it. Say it. I don't hear color. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Michael Moynihan, fresh, fresh from the, the Boda. The Boda. We had an Boda. entire conversation at the dinner table tonight um, did about you, Did you Camille's, record it? Uh, no, no. Oh, wait, about <laughs> my failure? Yeah. Matt Welch uh, at Reason Magazine, <laughs> editor uh, at large. Yes. Hello, yeah. everyone. And, and when I'm- Rolling start uh, here. When I am like Ugh. taking the piss out of people for tech failure, yeah. um, that's not good for the whoever is on the receiving end of it. No. Um, but uh, we're talking. How about many racial it, slurs did you utter at your dinner table? Because I know that's usually a thing that happens. That's I know easy, not easy, easy would tell the truth. She'll tell. I me. did. Yeah. I did. You uh, did say the uh, N word. Uh, this little sidebar. <laughs> I did look at a, a piece that she edited or uh, I, that she was submitting uh, tomorrow. Homework piece about race. In which uh, uh, Ibram X. Kendi was cited. Shut up! So, wait, wait, go wait, get her, wait, Matt. Wait, 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 Matt. Go, Matt. Go, go get her. No, it was part of the. It was part of the material. You were supposed to. I go get her. Stop! 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 stop. <laughs> you were supposed go to add. get her. We don't want to talk to this Welch. Go get us that other Welch. Bring her down here. She's she's twelve. She's twelve. Go get her. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the one thing. What? It's only like ten o'clock. She reads like an adult, but she sleeps like a child. Come on. This, here's, here's the thing. If she's old enough to learn about discrimination and its, its virtues, then she should be able to stay up until 11. Dude, That's what I say. I read, I read some of that book. I didn't get through the whole thing. Which, which, one, have, which one did, was it? Um, you're a or... fucking racist. You're <laughs> messed up. Um, oh, um, hey, Klansman, thanks for your money by Ibram X. Klansman. Um, yeah, so that one. Oh, uh, well, actually, I did read some of the stamp from the beginning one, and I was like, I couldn't believe what I was reading. But um, I did read some of it, and I can say that it is written for twelve-year-olds. So <laughs> I think it's probably appropriate that your daughter is reading it in school. Uh, but no, uh, Camille, we were trying to come up with uh, 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 
uh, reasons for why such failures uh, mm -hmm. arose. And then uh, there's, there's only one there. reason: white supremacy. It's the only. Uh, we we came up with weed. Like you moved, <laughs> you moved to uh, California, and you're just high I'm, on the I'm weed not, all not. the time. No, and you get this. He's a butterfly, like just flapping over here, mm -hmm. or or someone's talking about the cathedral over there. And you get very distracted. <laughs> <laughs> There's a new software engineer canceled forever because he said something autistic. Somewhere. Oh, sorry, we're not, Whoa. not supposed to say that. Sorry, Whoa, sorry, sorry. Too much. We, too much yeah, editing on this one. Don't already. say the owl word. You realize you realize that we legalized uh, the uh, marijuana in New York today, right? That's what I hear. That's uh, very exciting news. Um, which you know means, why? <laughs> yeah, because Cuomo was like trying to buy up votes. So, <laughs> yes. like, like literally. There's two things here. That's Cuomo, what it takes. Um, between like pulling people's pants down and like getting things for Chris <laughs> yeah. Cuomo that nobody else can can get. Well, he's like sheltering in his basement. Um, uh, the, which I by the way, the all I think it was the Albany Times Union that I initially saw it in that paper, and then everyone else cannibalized that scoop and gave him no credit. Gave so, no credit. They do pretty good work. No, that paper. They do good work. I mean, yeah. I mean, good local journalism there, but um, or actually statewide journalism. Uh, but but that's the one thing. And the other one is the enormous gaping Lusitania type hole in the hull of the uh, New York's uh, New York's budget because people, you know, obviously COVID and because people are running the hell away. And I think we mentioned it on the Patreon that we should you should subscribe to that two other financial services companies moving to Miami. Because why not? Because the taxes are great and they like Governor DeSantis and they don't like Governor Cuomo. Also, they have those wild South Beach weekends, which is a lot of fun. Mm. Shut wild. down the entire state. <laughs> Doesn't um, look like a lot of fun. They, like, they really do. Just as a passive observer, just kind of looking at the videos like, ah, I don't know. I don't. That doesn't look like fun yeah. to me. I agree. We should still take, our talents, still, still take our talents to South Beach. At least we're we definitely going to take our, um, our talents. So I, I, I hope that Matt, in some, b b before we start recording, uh, Matt's like out in the street twerking on a Tesla. <laughs> yeah. so like, everyone's yeah. like, what are you doing? That dude? could be arranged. Like, I don't know. That could be arranged. Yeah. Half of the Valley is out there, and I know some of those totally. folks. So I'm sure someone could loan us a Tesla just for that purpose. The thing about Camille's <laughs> profound failure of yesterday is that unlike all the other lost episodes uh -huh. that are sitting like in his but that's not even lost episode. over in the it does corner not exist. And some of these episodes, as far as I'm concerned, lost episodes don't exist until we're proven to the country. <laughs> yeah. But unlike other ones, this one was actually good. It was a really good one. <laughs> Wait, you're saying the other ones weren't good? The lost episodes? Yeah. No. Why well, you, you think the lost, motherfucker? Haven't, you haven't participated in all. No, we have a great one, actually, with Balaji and Thomas Chatterton Williams and, and right. me talking about Bitcoin. That is going to be coming soon. Wow. That is already I mean, in it's, it's very <laughs> I gotta, shit. I got to stand up. This this erection's going to hit the wood yeah, I, table. I here. bet it will. I bet it will. Those hands are moving fast enough. And Scumbag. next week, Camille and Glenn Lowry talk about blockchain. <laughs> that actually sounds exciting, too. I mean, come on. <laughs> why why can't Glenn talk about blockchain? He's an economist. Jeez. Yeah, yeah that's I'm sure I'm sure that he's he's really into the blockchain technology. But by the but, way, with the the number of these things, I'm gonna get Geraldo to like blow up your secret <laughs> vault and see if he can find all these recordings that have gone missing. Yeah. So many people. I mean, there was one that actually didn't see the light of day. Because it was so awful, and I actually wasn't there for it. Which, which and it one seems is like that? all the ones that are missing are I'm not there for. Which one is that? With the lady. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You get the fight. Yeah, the fight. That's fight. that's le- yeah, that's, that's legitimately awful. I I don't yeah. uh, I don't favor uh, releasing that. Uh, yeah. the although, other ones, I, I, although I think we we should probably give her a do over. No, nah, we're good. Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like. I, sometimes I, I've listened to stuff that I've enjoyed. Um, uh, that she's, you know, just yeah. just to point out for the record that uh, since Moynihan referenced the legal weed, the Cuomo, the Cuomo grass, um, mm-hmm. if that uh, comes into effect uh, at the time that Camille comes back home to New York, mm. is that home next for me? week? And we, it is. Uh, mm. It's the home for the fifth column. That's true. Uh, maybe you yes, should. Maybe true. you should visit your home. Um, <laughs> maybe we wouldn't. Yeah. Anyways, uh, uh, that uh, we would all be at the Chinatown HQ. I think it might be the 420 episode. Mm. It, yeah. Well, by the way, I think I talked about that on another Patreon of somebody who said that we they would they would get a weed company to sponsor us to do the 420 episode where we all get super stoned and and talk. But it can't be edited. That was the conversation. No, editing, <laughs> oh, no. no trying to make yourself sound better. Just to make uh, to, to make this clear, there is both a guitar and a keyboard over there. So no, I mean what you're that into. that is actually a bad thing. But you know, Camille, it is. We are a um, we are a New York based podcast. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah. You can come back, but or if you do not come back, I do have a suggestion. Uh huh. Mm. Entirely up to you if you want to do this. Matt and I have discussed it. Before. Yeah. Yeah. M- when when Journey no longer had Steve Perry singing, they replaced him with a small Filipino man. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'm trying to find yeah. somebody in the Philippines who sounds and has similar politics to you, mm-hmm. and then he can be committed to. So if anyone <laughs> knows, if anyone's, that's a, that's if anyone's like idea. hanging around Manila and yeah. is like, that guy sounds just like Camille. <laughs> I think that's where the clones got a Murray Rothbard quote on his forearm. <laughs> it's it's not Louis <laughs> Murray Rothbard. He's non-foundational. Ludwig von Mises is credo. Can't, and it's can't hear a word that, that he says. <laughs> that dude that we talked about who's non-foundational, who's on Twitter with like 250,000 followers. Oh, what that, what's that dude's Tariq, name? Tariq, whatever his name is. Tariq Nishin. Oh, he's the one who wears the... He wears the like the suits that don't fit really well. Yeah, yeah. In, his, in his profile picture, he has that weird... weird Did you see this thing on. that he does? I, I got to give him credit for this. <laughs> no. What is Where he asks white people to give, them, give him money? No. Specifically, it's called White People or White People Wednesdays or something. Like, no, pay, pay, no joke. Look it up. He that you have to PayPal him money. Oh my god! If you're white, I mean, it's he, like reparations. He is, and I look in the picture, and he's oh, wearing like a twenty thousand dollar Rolex or something. Oh no! Something. Listen, the, the Fugazi, guy is like an incredible wow. hustler. Like he is. I mean, yeah. he wrote the reason. Only reason I knew about him to begin with was because he was writing like these ridiculous like pickup artist books. And he has like several of them. But he also has a music career. And I, by career, I mean he's made some music and tried to release it publicly. So there are music videos, and he's been both like a, a like two live crew knockoff rap artist where he's got what? like this, this image of him sitting in a bathroom with a woman in a shower behind him, like showing you her ass, her whole ass in a what? thong. And and then there's God. another another song that he did, <laughs> and you can see the music video for it, and it's him singing R&B songs. <laughs> it's just like really, really bad. But when did he become the civil rights guy? Who I mean, cares? I remember. It's, it's a hustle. I remember. <laughs> you remember that that image of uh, Bayard Rustin with the girls in the thongs pressing mm-hmm. their asses? Up against the glass? <laughs> I do not remember oh, that. Me so Every, horny. I mean, it is. Uh, so you know, John Lewis. I mean, everyone had that picture. Yeah. You have to be Ralph Abernathy, great well, uh, two live crew. I mean, as, as you well know, there are some some 
notorious stories oh, about, <laughs> about Mr. Abernathy. He used to get down. This is all I'm going to say. What was the I'm name of his book? It. And the walls come tumbling down. Is that his book? His book. His book is good, by the way. Yeah, I liked his book. With, I mean, that's a hell of a thing to have in there. Right? And, and by the way, there's a there's a bit in the book where he denounces Jesse Jackson, which is quite funny too. Oh, is there? Yeah, he doesn't like. I, I think it was Abernathy who didn't like Jackson, and he might have been the source oh, of actually that is rumor that he that. smeared the no, blood on his. Do you remember that? There was a rumor. Oh, right, right, right. That uh, at at the uh, uh, what was it? The Lorraine Motel. That he 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 took King's blood and smeared it on himself, um, uh, and that was spread from within. It wasn't like you know a COINTELPRO thing that was spread within the movement that he that he was trying to you know jockey for position almost immediately. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know, and I actually doubt that that's true. But that was that has was spread for a long time. Yeah, to trying to to attack uh, 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 Jesse. <laughs> I Been did not smell blood. He's back on my shirt. I didn't uh, in the shirt. No blood. He wouldn't do that, Jesse. We know you wouldn't do no, that. Jesse, no, Jesse. No, Jesse would never do that. He wouldn't do that. someday someday I'm going to release That's that interview far. that I had with Jesse. I don't know why I keep you on referencing. It. Why don't? Well, I don't own it, I guess. But Where? it's just also because yeah. it's just so hilarious, <laughs> and it's that you cannot have. There's no sense. And that was in 2016 during the campaign. Yeah. Uh, when it was the night that Michelle Obama. Uh, introduced Hillary Clinton and they, she had not gotten involved and it was in Winston-Salem, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Jesse showed up and, and, um, and he was great. He was, he was, he was a super nice guy. Yeah. So, but the, the, the problem was I couldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that book Mark was Wall. called and the walls came tumbling down. I was, I was right mm-hmm. about that. Dr. Doc, well, Ralph David Abernathy. I don't know that he was mm-hmm. a doctor. He's probably an honor honorary doctor mm-hmm. from someplace. Um, Unfortunately overlooked. A Reverend, a Reverend he's, doctor. He's, he's, he's yeah, it was Martin Luther King's right hand man for real. Yes, he was. Yeah, yes, he was. Um, well, we should we should get into it. I mean, I really don't know what we're going to do tonight. Last night we talked about um, crime, and we talked with uh, Pete Moscos, who is a brilliant, super smart academic, former cop in Baltimore. We talked about the wire. We talked about um, internal scandal within the police department, uh, and we talked about the substantial spike in violent crime uh, across the country in a number of states which and major cities uh and the the degree to which people have been completely unwilling to acknowledge that this thing was happening uh throughout a good portion of last uh yesterday i don't know how much that we're gonna like go back over now uh but we also talked about the two major mass shootings that have happened uh, over the course of the Mm -hmm. last two weeks uh both in colorado um and in georgia uh and some of the the media narratives around that. So I think that could be interesting for us to, to perhaps dip back into for a little bit. Well, we can, let, let's pick one of those rather than tell people what they're not going to hear. Cause you love <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm giving you, I'm giving you some things. We, there are options, but even, even if we talk about the mass shootings, um, I think the yeah. violent crime issue, there is a close relationship between those two things, the broader violent crime situation, the fact that we are still seeing that sustained into this year, the fact that Chicago has had exceptionally consistently high uh, rates of violent crime, like 12 shootings a day in some in some instances, mm-hmm. weekends filled with carnage, not not every weekend, like, you know, 20 people dying in some instances, but mm-hmm. like substantial body counts uh, enough that it ought to rate. Uh, and we had a really good conversation yesterday. And again, I, I, don't, I wouldn't mind rehashing some of that because I think there are other interesting aspects of it to, to get into. 
um, about the the reasons why narratives about a place like Chicago just get completely lost in the shuffle and don't make national news. Uh, and, you know, the, ar- the yeah. rather arbitrary distinction uh, between, like, say, a mass shooting in Chicago where, again, 15 people shot over the course of like two days is a big deal. Uh, but unless you do, you know, eight people in the course of a couple of hours in Atlanta or 10 people in a grocery store, you know, you just don't get that sort of national news. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what uh, Pete Moscow said. And, and again, I um, I wasn't there mm-hmm. uh, for this recording, but apparently neither you were you two. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we were. As far as the record is concerned, wow. nobody was there. Wow. Um, Thank you. But um, I, I've said this in the past that when, when people say, you know, Americans don't care about what's happening in, you know, Congo. There's a genocide goes on in Congo and nobody pays attention. Whereas, you know, somebody shoots up uh, a deli or something in, in, in France um, and they pay attention to that. And the obvious thing is there's a parallel here with Chicago is that you ex- whether or not this is the right thing to do, instinctually you ex- accept it and expect it in certain places. You expect there to be like ultra violence in Iraq. You don't expect it at a department store or a, a, like a metal concert in Paris, right? This is a totally, and, and it's also primarily because it's places we go. Like yeah. I, you know, I've been to Bataclan, you know, I've been to these places, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my God, I've been there and there's, they're, you know, mowing down people. Uh, whereas Chicago, you know, we, we often say, you know, nobody cares about that. Um, when 10 people get shot, but if there's, you know, one thing that's more politically palatable or, you know, more politically interesting to somebody who's ideological, then we pay attention to that. But the thing is, is also is that, you know, when did, when did Spike Lee's Chirac come out? Terrible mm. movie, by the way. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. I don't remember. Two years. Maybe yeah. longer. Maybe, yeah. maybe was that, was it a, I, I remember just desperately not wanting to see that. Was that a musical or something like that? No, okay. no, it wasn't. No, it's uh, School Days was. Um, but it's, <laughs> it, it's not like that. This is like been, 20, 2015. 2015. So it's almost six years ago. But I mean, it was shot six years ago. It was so common in Chicago six years ago that it was being regularly compared to Iraq, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is just normal now in Chicago and nobody can fix it. And we don't pay attention to it, I don't think, because we don't care. But it's just, it's, there's a certain exhaustion in saying like, if somebody says to me, 12 people were shot in Chicago this weekend, I say, okay. If somebody says to me, one person was sh- shot in Chicago this weekend, that's a story to me. Mm-hmm. The opposite is a story. I'm like, oh my god, only one person was shot. That's yeah. Totally I mean, it's, miraculous. It's, it's classic man bites dog, and and uh, we're grasping towards definitions because you see the common definition of a mass shooting usually is four people are shot in an incident. Right. Um, well, four, four not pe- necessarily four. Four people. Not not. It's not, not killed. Uh, shot. Okay. It's four people shot. Um, and that if you start looking at what 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 is the universe of four people getting shot incidents not just Chicago and big cities everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens a lot. Um, and a lot of it is familial or a lot of it is gangs or a lot of it is, is X, Y, and Z people who are familiar with one another. It's the, um, uh, kind of weren't having a beef are maybe are familiar with each other. Like a guy goes into his, you know, his, his classroom and shoots up his people that he knows. Um, but it's like, that's not the same. It's a, it is more of a man by its dog. And, um, and yes, uh, there's like a big class element of it. If you can't imagine yourself being in the picture, 
it's hard to get super excited about the story. Exactly, yeah. uh, and there's and there's something that's that's uh, frankly very kind of uh, gross about that. But the yeah, one it's unfortunate. Uh, I want to make 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 sure that clear that I don't say, oh, well, it's alien to me. It's a place that I don't know. And it's so common that I don't care. I know. I think it's a problem that we don't care. Yeah, I mean, it's a and problem, it's, and it's allowed I, what, to fester for so long. What you're what you're acknowledging is the 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 way that human brains, including our own, work, and that's just the truth. Um, uh, yeah. And I oftentimes have wished that wasn't so. Um, you know, and also probably oftentimes been super lazy about not overcoming that. Um, the one thing uh, we will say about Pete, Pete Moscow's thing, we can drop him as a subject afterwards, but uh, uh, the, a big takeaway is that the rise in violent crime, especially gun crime, uh, that, that happened in 2020 didn't happen in March 1st mm -hmm. or March 14th. Mm -hmm. It began in late May. It is absolutely uh, correlated with uh, protests that are associated with uh, upset over George Floyd's um, killing at the hands of a cop, Derek Chauvin, uh, which goes on trial next week, um, and and you know leading to these these uh, uh, protests all over the country, in some cases riots and and property destruction as well, uh, and violent showdowns and a lot of discussion about uh, policing. Uh, that is it, and uh, there's a lot of people who are criminal justice reformers, and, and Pete is too, and has defined himself as such over the years who, like people always do with crime stats, try to massage them and say, well, it was a lockdown thing. Um, don't uh, don't jump to conclusions. And that's actually usually the right thing to do, especially mm -hmm. with crime stats. Uh, but the fact that it really spiked in ways that we've never seen, we've never mm -hmm. seen a single year spike like this was one of his big that I walked away with like, oh, shit, um, uh, last the, year. Yeah. And then it's ongoing to this year. And it began in late May and not March. That's there's something to that that I think people, wherever you are with politics and policy about all this kind of stuff, need to grapple with seriously in a way that I think a lot of the conversation, even among people who are very uh, kind of self-styled sophisticates when it comes to criminal justice uh, reform, don't always uh, tend to events. Uh, on the politics point, which, you know. I, I hate to talk about because it's so irritating. It's a sort of a never ending thing. And particularly when it comes to the shootings in Atlanta, which, you know, I mean, there were flags at half mast in state buildings uh, for those victims. And you can't criticize that because God, I mean, it's a horrible event, but that only happened. I think is my guess. I don't know this for a fact because people presumed there was a racial motive for the shooting, and it turned out there was not, despite the fact that there wasn't, people decided that, you know what, we're just going to keep going ahead with this. It doesn't really matter. Um, uh, you know, there, I mean, I can find you guys have seen them. We've sent them to each other. People saying, basically saying that, well, even though we don't know that that's true, it's, it's probably true. I suspect it's true. And it has to be true. I mean, literally, you know, academics, journalists, you know, reasonably clever people one would assume are making these points now something happened yesterday there was a two girls 13 15 years old i think the two of them who um carjacked an uber driver in washington dc um it failed but the car the the, the driver's dead the oh. girls have been taken into custody the mm. guy is dead the guy was a pakistani immigrant and put up some kind of fight and the whole thing. If you read the story, it's absolutely horrifying. Mm. I, when I saw 
the details of the story and read further on it. I saw two girls and I saw it through the prism of class because it was definitely a class issue. These were girls that were poor. These were girls that were from the Southeast, I think. I, I can't remember exactly where they're from. They um, grew up in a, in a culture that, you know, had some enormous problems, right? And I'm seeing this as a sort of class in a, in a culture thing. I didn't, I, I didn't even, like, why even talk about race in it? It's, it's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. I just, I mm -hmm. don't think it is relevant. The girls weren't white, right? And while I was thinking about this and thinking about it in the context of the Atlanta shooting, that people get so, it's so grim to see how excited, and I can't think of any other word rather than excited, when this mm -hmm. stuff happens, they're like, oh my God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to confirm my priors and I can make a bunch of points on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they seem despondent and dejected and they'll make arguments to say, no, 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 it actually is what I want it to be. But I imagine for a second, if that was a boy who is a white kid and is a Pakistani immigrant that was killed, mm -hmm. I wonder how long it would take for that story to go bigger and to have a narrative associated with it that wasn't true. It, I mean, in the hypothetical instance, it wouldn't be true. And it was just, you know, a methed out drug addict, whatever, who's trying to rob a guy for money, right? And it's, it's how quickly these things, so, you know, for instance, in the, the Asian, anti-Asian hate crimes that are happening, um, and we've talked about those numbers and, and how plausible they are and what they mean, et cetera. And it's worth talking about because that's what journalists are supposed to do rather than just mm. take the narrative as gospel and then say, you know, let's, let's have a, a you know, a peace concert, yeah. <laughs> you know, and everyone sing Kumbaya. no national publications doing that right now. No one's doing that. Our, no. our listeners are. And if you subscribe to the Patreon, you will hear a listener who really dug into it. And Matt read out the entire email and it's really good. It's pretty interesting. But you see this and, and you see Asian man attacked. His race is in the, in the headline. But we don't know why, right? So mm -hmm. I saw a big one. I'm sure you all saw this. White guy uh, attacked a, an Asian woman. And she fought back and it was awesome. And like, she's the hero of the universe because she's like 75 years old and kicks the shit out of this loser. And, Why like, she kick and re donated the Venmo that was uh, sent to her. It, it, yeah. Awesome. She's Everything great. about yeah. she's amazing. And like, we should, we should get her on the podcast because she's actually <laughs> the best. Because, you know, independent of all these loser journalists, that the second it happens, saw it all over Twitter, saw a picture mm -hmm. of the guy, white guy, and then it's classified. So, what are the data points here? How is a 75-year-old woman, like, leathering a, a, a young man? Mm -hmm. Well, it was on Market Street. Ever been, ever been down Market Street? Yeah. Mm -hmm. in, in San Francisco? It's a fucking thriller video. It's crackheads and zombies, and God knows what the motivation for this was. We don't know. But that is going to be a story that I get mm -hmm. in Texas when I'm shooting that is a local story. It's mm -hmm. a, it, but it's a national story. Because we don't know the motive, but we assume and kind of hope the motive. We yeah. have to stop doing that. We really have to stop doing that. It, 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 it's, it's, it's poisonous for everybody. And, and in the case of this particular shooting, the way that the motive was presumed, and, and quite frankly, the, the narrative about the racial motive anyways in the Atlanta shooting, um, presumed and sustained, to, to this day sustained, to the point where yes. if, if one forgets the timeline, the tragedy happens on a night. No one knows anything except for a few vague details about the people who were killed and essentially the identity of the shooter. 
And it isn't until the next morning after, you know, people just pouring all of their passions into social media, making various videos that I saw and making posts about their just pledging their support for the Asian American community, which was they presumed to be under direct threat and having just suffered a, a heinous attack. Um, the next morning, the police come out and they do their press conference and they say they offer sort of a preliminary conclusion that this didn't appear to be racially motivated. And like 90% of the questions from the press in the room are about whether or not this is racially motivated and whether or not he had like political posts on his Facebook page. And fully a week later, you know, Joe Biden, not fully a week later, almost a week later. So that's like Tuesday. It's Saturday or so when Joe Biden is giving remarks um, or Friday, maybe when he's giving remarks in Georgia, he flies down. He meets with the Asian Asian community leaders first, and then he gives a little speech, 20 odd minutes. Him and Kamala Harris both talk and they both talk about hate crimes. Joe Biden had pressed for Congress to take some action and people started drafting hate crimes legislation. There is no evidence, not a single piece of material investigative evidence to support the assertion that what happened was driven by anti-Asian malice or hatred or contempt. There are all kinds of interesting, complicated details that are worth paying attention to. Not a single one of them suggests that this happened because these people were Asian, that they were targeted because they were Asian. And of course, there were people who were not Asian, <laughs> non-Asian persons who were killed. They were murdered by this person. And I just, I can't, I can't, uh, it's so hard to, to appreciate why someone would need to believe this, why it's not yes. sufficient that someone was murdered. I can get myself to the point where I say murderer who is willing to go out and kill, you know, eight people. Um, and wound a ninth could be a number of other things, you know, pedophile, mm -hmm. racist, but I don't mm -hmm. need that to be true. It's not <laughs> that it, I don't need that to be true, to be outraged or to believe that this person ought to be just brought to justice or that we should, you know, proceed in an, in an appropriately serious way in order to try to mitigate the risk of something like this happening again. But if you won't recognize the facts of the case because you prefer your narrative, I don't know how you can marshal the tools necessary to actually do something about fixing this. And I certainly have no reason to believe that your hate crimes legislation based on a completely fraudulent narrative about what happened that evening is likely to save anyone's life. But it's also really, 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 really hard. And I think criminologists can tell you this to divine people's motives, particularly when they appear to have mental illnesses. Right. Um, and so uh, what do we say that John Hinckley or was it uh, Mark David Chapman who is uh, obsessed with Jodie Foster, right? I'm going to sit around and try to figure out, you know, w what it was that motivated somebody who is that delusional. And, and, you know, my favorite is that they always refer to him as a fan. Mm. <laughs> Mark, Lennon fan, Mark David Chapman is like, I, I don't think he's a fan, actually, because yeah. he killed him. Um, mm. So not really a fan. But but here's the, the weird thing is like people go sifting through his stuff and they don't find anything. But this guy and, and thankfully, I don't know his name, the guy in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And trust me, if they found it, you know. But of course, the sheriff comes out and apparently misspeaks. And then apparently he didn't misspeak and people misunderstood it, whatever. And they find something on his Facebook because immediately they go to his Facebook. Yeah. But the thing that, that that occurred to me then is that. 70, what, 4 million people voted for Donald Trump? 
something like that. 74 million people. Let's just say it's 74 million. It's around that figure yeah, for 2020. 74.2 million people. That's a lot of people. Now, any one of them commits a crime and at some point in the past six months post something on their Facebook wall that says, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. That is immediately becomes a political crime. Yeah. So 74.2 million people, any crime that they commit, provided the per other person is of a different race, will very quickly and easily be funneled into that category. Now, it might be that that person is a racist and a Trump supporter and is motivated by something. I don't discount the possibility of that. But I think that it's it's probably our jobs to sit back you know, especially as journalists and sit back and say, well, let's actually, you know, aggregate some of this information and not say that one single post, for instance, or somebody's political allegiance, they might have been a part of a local Republican club, but they also might have a significant mental illness. And now I know some people would say that that is an indicator of a significant mental illness. But if you if you don't think that <laughs> and just say, well, you know, these things might overlap. And it's a very, very tricky business to start assigning motives that the killer specifically disavows. And one final thing is always remember, Timothy McVeigh spent, you know, the, the remaining years of his life telling, you know, uh, uh, people like Gore Vidal, I'm not a Christian. I am an atheist. I am not a Christian terrorist. I do not believe in God. I don't know why. I don't want to have anything to do with these people. He's perfectly happy having something to do with blowing up a building and killing children in a daycare, totally fine, but didn't mm. want to be associated with Christianity. But it became gospel, mm -hmm. no pun intended, that he was a Christian <laughs> and he would actually, he actually went out of his way a number of times to say, no, 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 that's not me. I, I, I don't know how this got started, but that's not me. It's worth remembering too, that the way these things get played um, is so infuriating to people who don't share the uh, kind of basic um, political profile or instincts of national journalists to cover this stuff and the example to me for this that's very glaring is the shooting at the congressional baseball or softball baseball uh, uh practice um two three years ago where steve scalise almost died um guy opened fire on a practice field that he knew was filled with congressional republicans and this guy was a volunteer for bernie sanders yeah. he was motivated by politics crazy person obviously a uh -huh. bunch of problems but there's no doubt that this was a political assassination attempt um that he carried out and that well it was a story but it's not lodged in our consciousness the same way that for weeks and months jared loftner who is legitimately crazy person who killed five six people in arizona um uh was portrayed as obviously he loved Sarah Palin and was like targeting uh, leftists um, and the Democrats. Um, like the asymmetry for that is appalling. And and there was a, mm -hmm. a moment that I wrote about at the time, Bernie Sanders, um, again, whose <laughs> campaign this guy had volunteered for during the Jared Loeffner rampage in Arizona, Bernie Sanders stood up and, and criticized John McCain because John McCain wouldn't uh strenuously enough uh 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 condemn uh, uh, like uh, political rhetoric that included like warfare and things like that basically saying mccain um you don't realize you're not condemning that uh, that the violent rhetoric of republicans and conservatives is so strong that it led to these murders um uh it's which so bizarre. I, 
which was unfair at the time. And um, it would have been unfair if anyone had really done that during the congressional shooting. But no one did that because the predominant uh, narrative makers out there are people who see things differently depending on who does the shooting. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's infuriating. The, the, it's it is it is such an obvious double standard. It's just a glaring, obvious double standard. And I think that uh, there's a category difference. Maybe Camille, you want to talk about this for a bit, because um, this you know our, our ongoing group uh, uh, text kind of gets to that. Like you know when uh, there was the uh, Covington kids went to Washington D.C. And Nick Sandman was out there as a 17-year-old looking impassive, maybe smirking mm-hmm. while there's a Native American in his face. And everyone freaked the hell out about it and slimed him and stuff. And it took Robbie Suave from Reason two days later mm-hmm. to actually sit and watch through all the video. But once he did, um, it was only some kind of like rancid ex-gawker dead enders who held on to the... Oh, yeah, he was, you know, he behaved horribly and we should all hate him for that after the video context was provided. Uh, what's interesting about this mass shooting is that we do have some context. Um, you know, it's not the final word. The authorial intent is suspect in any case, let alone with a crazy mass shooter. Um, but kind of Ocom's razor, Ocam's razor, however the fuck you pronounce the razor. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, suggests that. Dude was hung up about sex, freaked out. Yeah. Uh, it was self-hating, um, and like uh, and like carried this out because of that. Um, that is like the primary motivation. There might be some sublimated racism and stuff. We'll talk about that, but like it's a it's a it's a sex religion crazy nexus much more than anything. So after that comes out, and also after one end, you mentioned the the cop. Um, that was like a, just a snipped comment that was popularized by uh, really a, like a miserable uh, a scumbag of a fake journalist named Aaron Ruptar, or Rupar from Box, who who has a long history of doing this kind of stuff. Um, so for everyone was like getting in the, the officer's face because he's like, oh, he had a bad day. The context of that video um, is completely exculpatory of that particular charge of this officer who was reassigned. You know, he was semi punished for this. Um and yeah, uh, but spokesperson from the case. But after um, that video came out, people just said, no, screw it. Um, he's still wrong. And after the information comes out about the shooter, they're like, no, no, it's still racism. Mm-hmm. Like there's like there was a reckoning after the salmon thing. Only a few holdouts didn't acknowledge the reality. Now we have people who just are like, fuck it. I don't acknowledge the reality. I'm going to keep going with this stuff. That's that feels to me a little bit new. If, if one data point on Lofner that is important is that, you know, people talked about the rhetoric and they they honed in on one image that Sarah Palin or Sarah Palin's people or campaign or she did posted on her Facebook page that um, said something about Arizona targeting uh, some seats in Arizona that they wanted. She wanted Republicans to flip. With the and there was there was a bullseye on it. Uh, the amazing thing about that is, okay, well, let's have a conversation about that. Well, actually, let's not have a conversation about that because you would probably be flunked out of, you know, detective school if there were such a thing. If you started <laughs> making connections there and the person who you're making that connection to had never referenced Sarah Palin, mm-hmm. had never referenced politics, that is a bizarre leap to say. And, and these are smart people on – I remember – 
thinking, I remember exactly where I was when I was like, I, I, I'm serious. It was like, a, I think a month after Livia was born. And I remember sitting in the apartment going, I just don't know if I want to be a part of this anymore because the politics was so, you know, horrid and fetid and nasty. And, you know, there are historical precedents here. And the most famous one, and you can actually read, I believe your colleague, uh, Matt, Jesse Walker has written about this very famously, the climate, the conservative climate in Dallas in November 1963 led to the death of John F. Kennedy. The only problem with that was that the person who shot John F. Kennedy, please don't email me about this because we're going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Take your I fucking saw JFK. I saw yeah. JFK. Yeah. Is it, is, I know Oliver Stone's a, a Patreon Fun member, movie. but he can go fuck yeah. himself. <laughs> um, you know, it, that the, dog the weird hunt. thing was the guy who, um, the president who uh, oversaw the invasion of Cuba at the Bay of Pigs, was shot by somebody who had defected to the Soviet Union, was uh, an avowed Marxist who was previously seen a month before handing out in New Orleans, handing out pamphlets for the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, which was a pro-Castro organization. And somehow for years, years, it was the virtual rhetoric to this day, the rhetoric in in um, Dallas that provoked this this uh, disgusting, horrible act by Lee Harvey Oswald, not by anyone else, by Lee Harvey Oswald. But this happens all the time, and you have to stand on guard against this stuff. And I'm, I, I'm, I would be, I would be the same. I don't see it happening, but I would also be annoyed if the guy in, I guess, Boulder, Colorado, um, had posted stuff on his Facebook page about how much he hated Donald Trump. Um, that doesn't appear to have anything to do with uh, the shooting that 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 he commenced uh, three or four days ago at a grocery store there and killing a, a whole number of people and wounding others. I mean, it, it, this is just because he had politics and he was a Syrian uh, immigrant or his parents were Syrian immigrants, uh, that, that this was politically motivated, was about his status as an immigrant or a Muslim. There's nothing about that in, in what anyone can see so far. So if conservatives are doing this and saying, oh, it's because he's a Muslim or because he's a he Trump hater, you know, shut up because there's no evidence of that. Mm -hmm. Just because he is a Muslim and he did post things about hating Donald Trump, he's probably one of the 80 million people who voted for Joe Biden. Stop it. This is, is enough of this bullshit. It, it, it never ends. And journalists are supposed to be on guard against this stuff. And, and, you know, the one thing that I think I mentioned on the Patreon, I'll say it here, too, is that when I was in Texas, I talked to everybody I talked to with the one single exception, one exception. And I talked to a lot of people who were Republicans. One exception believed that Donald Trump actually won the election. And when I would press them on it, because look, my goal, you know, interviewing people who are average Joes is not to debate them. I just want to, I want to know what they think. I'm not going to debate them. But in this case, I would push back a tiny bit and say, hey, what about these court rulings, et cetera? In, to a person, this, I, I could line up 15 quotes of this. They said that, you know, look, I, I feel that it is. I feel that, it, that, that, that this is what happened. Mm -hmm. I went to these rallies. I feel it. I know. I mean, this is literally what people are saying to me that it can't not be true. I don't care. I, I, I feel it in my bones. This is what's happening in Atlanta. This is Trumpism on the other side. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence that it was mm -hmm. a shooting that was directed against Asian people. I just feel it so because yeah. it is happening in the culture right now. So it must be true. Well, they know it's not true. Yeah. I mean, it's the same, same instinct. 
I mean, the, the, the ways, the ways this works. I mean, it, Tammy, Senator Tammy Duckworth, uh, was on oh, Face the Nation on Sunday. Yeah. And, and said effectively that, you know, from where I sit, this looks like a hate crime. You know, I'm not a police yeah. officer. I'm not a, not a detective. I haven't looked into the case, but, you know, I want to see a deeper investigation. I want to see a deeper investigation into this crime. I've sent a letter to the head of the FBI and to the police investigating this crime, essentially because you don't like their conclusion. Mm -hmm. You don't have any evidence you can cite except for your feelings about this particular mm -hmm. case. And it's, it's pretty much the same thing that like Joe Biden said in response to this, that, that, that so, so the, until we don't necessarily know the motive, you know, it may not, but the motive doesn't matter is the new piece of the narrative. The motive doesn't matter. This is about, you know, words and words have consequences. And this is about coronavirus. That's the bottom line, which mm -hmm. again, I, I, even the Asian hate crimes narrative, I find it irksome and I am frustrated seeing journalists constantly write about this as if it is a known fact. And we simply do not have the data to substantiate this. We have a pair of studies that are routinely cited one of which can't even be referred to as a study. It's essentially just a web form on their website, which, and they have this number that they publish about like 3000 plus anti-Asian incidents that have happened, but this is self-reported data. And most of these things are not violent crimes. And it isn't obvious Camille, what's to me the that second, they have any what's effort the second, going through this. Uh, there's a second one too. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen that one. Yeah. There's stop there's, AAPI. Hate. Yeah. Stop yeah. AAPI hate. There's another group that went and took a look at, hate crimes data from like mm -hmm. 15 or 16 different cities, major uh, US cities, and they compared the numbers between 2019 and 2020. And they just sort of did an average, but the difference between them, and they had a measurable increase in mm -hmm. reported mm -hmm. hate crimes involving Asian Americans, like they had one. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I haven't checked the data there. There's actually a study that is supposed to be forthcoming from them that has a bunch more detail about what we saw there. But even that, the fact that the that journalists started talking about this in like March of last year, speculating on the possibility that there might be this wave of hate crimes. And in some instances, insisting that this thing is happening already, whether or not the evidence exists. Like, it's not shocking that some additional reports begin to materialize. It's certainly not shocking that, you know, more people would call about incidents that don't involve violence. Um, and the question becomes, at what point is talking about this sort of thing, not merely like being sensationalist and potentially whipping up a frenzy of overconcern about something that we don't we don't know whether or not it's happening, but it's actually creating the potential for this stuff to happen i.e. crazy person who is in the street who sees an Asian person and is there's constantly talk about Asian hate crimes, like the kind of person who might punch someone randomly anyways, like turning out to also be the sort of person who might scream racial slurs while punching them. You'll find I incidents mean, would... where you have a person who's punched and assaulted several people on the street randomly, one of whom happens to be Asian, and that is the only victim that ends up getting talked about. And then there's all sorts of weird hand wringing in the New York Times because, oh, my God, an Asian person was stabbed in Chinatown. It's bad that a person was stabbed in Chinatown. But the question is, why isn't this a hate crime? Why isn't it prosecuted as a hate crime? 
Well, perhaps because this person had a history of violence and his family had been trying to get him assistance. And you'll see that kind of stuff over and over again. And those stories are conflated as if they are obviously part of a rising wave of crime aimed at directed specifically at Asians, when it very well could be the case that in many cities across the country, we're seeing rising violence. And as a result of the rising violence, given where people of different backgrounds live, Asians are caught up in that wave of increasing violence, more so than there being any concerted con uh, campaign on the part of bigots to hurt people. I just I just don't think that Donald Trump is inspiring Asian hate in San Francisco. And that is where you're seeing the numbers go up. And New York as well. Yes. Yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, look, I don't know the answer to that question, right? And I don't think anybody does. I sure. mean, the only thing that we've talked about uh, is that one study that everybody was citing, um, it's rather generous to call it a study. It, it's it's not. I mean, it is a political activist group that knew its conclusion before it created the form that you submit your uh, mm -hmm. details in on the website. Anyway, no one's checking this stuff. No one's, you know, it's like the Washington Post has its database of police shootings. They check all of those. They go through the details. They, right. you know, try to get as accurate as they can. They're not doing that. And, you know, when you see the thing in San Francisco getting all this play and the guy is clearly mentally ill and then the guy that was killed, the 80-some-odd-year-old Thai man, um, was, was beaten and killed, uh, the person who is, you know, not, not white. So the white supremacy argument is a bit strange in this one. Um, <laughs> although they've gotten around that, by yes, the way, I think I yeah. sent you guys a post today of somebody making the argument, multiple people making the argument that, that, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, black men tensions between have, black, uh, black people and white people, they have internalized white yeah. supremacy, yeah. which is like, is a point of absurdity, but you know, you see these things where there's the most popular you know, conspiracy theory in America. It absolutely is. Yeah. And you see these people that have mental health issues and, you know, are these people like, you know, walking down Market Street and doing this stuff. And now I don't know if they all have mental health issues or if this is something that's going to be turn out that a lot of them do because it's like random assaults on the street sort of uh -huh. thing. But if you think back to the 1960s, the early 1960s in the South, when there was a, a concerted campaign of racial terrorism that was was, you know, orchestrated and look i mean there's no other way of saying it it was it was it was meted out by people that were elders in the community mm -hmm. people who were members of the police force mm -hmm. people that were members of 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 you know local town councils local city councils you can go down and look at these people i mean you have you know george wallace himself preventing james meredith from getting into Ole Miss in a performative way because he knows that the National Guard's going to come and forth, force them to allow James Meredith to go to school. This campaign of bombing churches, these were done by, quote unquote, normal people, people that were, were really, you know, drunk on the racism that just sept into, was seeping into everything in, in that place in that time. It was, that was truly institutional. And... You know, now when you see these things that are here and there, again, I don't know the answer to this because we don't have the data. But my problem is people people speaking so surely about it. And then we see these people like what is the state of half of these people that have been arrested? They seem to be to be, um, you know, lost in a way, <laughs> maybe be the most generous way of putting it. I don't again, I don't know if that's true, but it certainly isn't comparable to what we saw 
in the 1960s in the South when there was an organized campaign of racial hatred. I don't see that here. And it's talked about sometimes as if that's what's going on. Here's a, a potential uh, dicey subject um, thrown out to the class, which is um, following up on that observation, Michael, which I think is an important one. Like there were official structures, there were official human beings who were in those structures who were like, hey, dude, I hate black people and I'm going to prevent them because they're lesser from drinking in this fountain, going into the school, doing this or walking across the street. I got the fire hose. I mean, this happened in the lifetime of our mm -hmm. parents. It is it's sickening. It's absolutely sickening. Um, but they were there. They were wearing it out loud. They were saying, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is what I'm, I'm doing. Um, so if we're gazing out on the political discussion and participation in the country right now, what are the groups that are making uh, out and proud, um, not necessarily, you know, height of World War II anti-Japanese type of rhetoric, uh, the likes of which I was uh, marinating in in Southern California, where we had 100,000 people in internment camps, um, but like who are saying uh, unkind general collective things about Asian Americans and what they do and where they're going. Who are the who, what are the categories of American political life who are objectively um, either anti-Asian or supporting things that are kind of specifically targeted negatively towards Asian Americans? Uh, if you're talking about education, I have an answer for you. If you're talking about people trying to get in schools in New York City, I got an answer for you. What's that answer? <laughs> That's white supremacy. What is that answer? Uh, it, there it is. Anti-Asian white supremacists who don't want <laughs> Asians to go to Stuyvesant. <laughs> I mean, that's that, but that's that's an actual thing. And it's worth it's an actual thing. That's a thing. It's worth there are talking many, about. There are too many Asians in this school. We got to do something about it. So we're going to change the, the standards. There's an yeah. asshole named Matt Gonzalez, um, who I think worked <laughs> on the Nader campaign in 2000. Um, I forget exactly. But he's someone who has uh, mashed the retweet button on a whole bunch of tweets aimed at me, calling me a racist over the years. So I have a special oh, sure. fondness for him. They had organized at my daughter's elementary school a discussion about institutional racism and diversity, equity and inclusion with Matt Gonzalez. It was supposed to happen last week or the week before, but he, he canceled at the last minute. It's so sad. Um, but, uh, <laughs> anyways, he's the guy who, um, famously coined the phrase cause he, his group is called like Appleseed something or other, uh, which is like a, a consultant group that gets money from the city to lobby the city to, uh, uh, pay, pay him to consult them to make more equity. Um, uh, and, uh, he came up with the phrase white adjacent yeah, to discuss Asians. Oh, that, so that's uh, him. He did that. That's him. Wow. That's him. Wow. My daughter's an elementary school. An accomplished man. Guy who yes. is Jeez. sure that I am racist um, is the white adjacent guy. And that is the real deal. She sounds pretty racist to me. In, <laughs> in New York politics. There was, there was, after the Atlanta shooting, a large outpouring of pretty conspicuous, like, you're one of us now, support from a lot of Ibram X. Kendi, who we mentioned before, a lot of other people who have in the past expressed maybe not exactly white adjacent, but pretty damn close to white adjacent type of slurs towards Asians um, mm -hmm. uh, because they 
uh, in in New York City politics, but in the politics of a lot of, of cities, uh, San Francisco is another one, um, a lot of the changes that are being done in the name of equity, uh, the way that equity is properly uh, uh, or, you know, used in the modern parlance, which is working backwards from results, and if they're bad towards uh, or they're seen to be bad towards uh, traditionally disfavored groups, you kind of say, okay, there must be racism associated with it. And, oh, look, you know, Asians are overrepresented and so are whites. So, like, they're l- lumped together uh, through that. So people who've been making that, that those arguments for a long time and kind of dismissing, shunting aside uh, Asian uh, parents and, and others suddenly were like, you know, this is this is why I was talking about intersectionality all along. You're one of us uh, kind of. A, it was weird, man. It was weird. Uh, did you guys have that sense of dislocation when watching that performance? I, I have had a sense of dislocation for the, about the past decade <laughs> watching uh, almost everything. And um, yeah, to the point to that point, it's uh, look, I mean, try explaining it uh, specifically and I've seen this and I've seen stories about this and I've seen this up close too, trying to explain some of these policies to recent immigrants um, who live in Queens and do not have a lot of financial resources and they have kids that work really hard and tell them that they cannot go to the school that they've worked so hard to get into because of their race. That's a bit jarring to people. And they say, no, 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 this is the good kind. This is the good kind of keeping people out of schools because of the race. There's a good kind and a bad kind. Um, so this is the good one. And sorry. And they're like, well, I don't know why this is the good one. I have been in America for 10 years. And it's like, maybe, you know, maybe just hang it a little longer. You'll figure it out. But, you know, that, that kind of stuff is, is shocking. And, you know, particularly when you have uh, the Trump administration did very few things that I, I, I uh, give them credit for. But, the um, you know, fighting back against... Uh, colleges preventing Asian people from going there on a quota basis uh, is is something that, you know, redolent of uh, Ivy League's keeping Jews out uh, because they were too good. We had to keep too, we had to keep, you know, not, not too many Jews at Yale, not mm. too many Jews at Princeton. It's mm. a pretty, pretty repugnant history. And speaking of repugnant history, just one more thing about uh, a couple of Patreons ago, I went on a long jag about the outlaw Josie Wales yes. uh, and its connection to the KKK. Um <laughs> When after after going down that rabbit hole, I ended up, you know, in hotel rooms for the past uh, 10 days, you know, falling asleep to shitty YouTube videos. But I ended up after that started watching, you know, watched a bunch of Eyes on the Prize, which, by the way, I've recommended before in this podcast is an incredible series from probably 25 years ago that PBS did. Terrific, terrific, terrific. Stands the test of time. Very, very nuanced. And one of the things that you notice in that. And a couple of other things that I saw, a documentary about about George Wallace, who you can say the one nice thing about him is uh, he was shot and then rethought some of mm-hmm. the things and went to a lot of black churches and tried to atone for some of the disgusting things that he did and said in his in his life. Um, the one thing that you that, that was really jarring to me was to watch the footage in this in particular. There's a lot of similar stuff, but this in particular watching the footage which i rewound like two times because i was like this looking at individuals in the background of children children i mean we're talking about in the amazing thing about the parents is that they're dressing up children in these little skirts and they have little bobby socks on and they're adorable looking and they're going through a phalanx of psychopathic people screaming at them screaming at children could you imagine in any any context that you would scream at children trying to go to school in an anti-integration integrationist final last gasp of of anti-integrationism when the federal government got involved and, and prevented it but i was looking at that and saying 
the conversations we have about race today are really dumb. Considering, you know, it's somebody who tweeted something that had the wrong, you know, we were talking about a guy who got fired from a TV show because who knows why, there's no details, but he was not racially sensitive. It's like, I want to acknowledge some level of progress seeing that because that happened in, as you said, Matt, in our lifetime, in our parents' lifetime, our lifetime, in our parents' lifetime. I mean, there are a lot of people that you walk by in the street every day that were alive during that and, and old enough to understand it and cognizant of what was going on. And that was a world that they lived in, both white people and black people. And you see this on camera, go and look at it. And it is one of the most jarring images, you know, hooting and hollering at children. Faces twisted. Twisted in with rage. Absolute ugly hate. I mean, it is, it, it is some of the ugliest faces it is, ever. It is really astonishing. And, to, and, and, and when you see that and then you compare it to the conversations that we have today and say, no, 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 we are overwhelmed by white supremacy. You have, a, you have an opinion that I don't like. Probably shouldn't be working for us and you're probably a white supremacist and we're going to you know, mark you forever. It's like, yeah, I can show you some white supremacy and it's just on YouTube. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist anymore, but I'm saying that, you know, there is some point at which you have to say we should be able to measure progress in America on race. And that is exhibit one. You would never see that. Imagine what people don't understand would say, well, it's gone underground now, right? It's subterranean. It's institutional. What does that tell you? At what point does somebody not stop and say, why did it have to go underground? Why did it have to sort of seep into the institutions and, and say it in quiet and hushed tones? Why, why were people looking over their shoulders before they said the bad thing now? Because it no longer is culturally acceptable. Isn't that something to celebrate and say, wow, that's pretty great. Is it complete? Yeah, I don't think it's complete because, you know, legacies of this stuff are, are, are alive and with us. And I think some of the solutions to it that, that people um, who, who make claims like everything is, everything is awful, their, their solutions are awful and are going to make things worse or keep people in the exact place that they've been. But to not acknowledge it is actually a big thing. And we don't talk about it enough. We should fight back against this stuff and say, we are a better country than we were. By a lot. And that's something to be proud of and it's something to celebrate. And you can't, you can take a knee and say, I'm not going to celebrate anything. But that's the nuance that is lost, lost in a Kaepernick protest or somebody who says, I cannot look at that flag. That flag doesn't represent one thing, but it has been flying and fluttering in the background of a lot of bad things, but a lot of progress too. And I mean, to take 20, it as one thing is stupid. I'm, I'm now, th I'm thinking about Colin Kaepernick. Uh, as a football player Sorry. <laughs> for a second, um, and I hate talking with you Kaepernick haters about this, but like um, <laughs> not a 25, hit. you are, uh, <laughs> 25, 25 years ago, and Moynihan will remember this, um, uh, prior to uh, Kaepernick uh, becoming who he is in our consciousness now, his biggest problem in playing in the NFL 25 years prior with that, um, there was actual racism about black quarterbacks. They're like, there's James Harris for the L.A. Rams, Doug Williams. Um, he eventually got into the Redskins. and But there was thumb-sucking pieces about whether there could be black quarterbacks. One of the best quarterbacks in NFL history was a guy who couldn't play in the NFL for eight years. Because, like, I don't know. He's all big and athletic and he's got a great arm. 
uh, better go play in Canada, Warren Moon, Moon for yeah. for like yeah. six years before you come down. Wait, wait, was pass. that was that Jimmy the Greek telling him to go play in Canada? <laughs> Jimmy the Greek. I mean, in the eighties, we had Jimmy the Greek, who was like a gambler on CBS, which is yeah. great. I forget exactly what his racist sin was, but it wasn't good. Actually, uh, actually, it was it was a breeding craft. Yeah, he suggested that black people were super athletic because of slavery, um, and suggested that you know the problem with. Uh, black people like becoming coaches is there wouldn't be any jobs for white people to do anymore, um, which is supposed to be like a joke on, on behalf of black people. It's sort of complimenting them, uh, saying they they would be great and they would just keep white people completely out of the sport if they wouldn't leave those just, jobs open for them. I, I like the fact that he has his ethnic designation in his name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, actually, another. This, this is an a- opening anecdote in Racecraft, I believe, in chapter four, which is the perhaps the most essential chapter of that book. Essential is yeah. an interesting word to choose. Um, it's important. I, I mean, Al uh, Al Campanis also was in the in the nineteen eighties. Yes. A guy who yes. whose actual like works his record was in this world was great about was great. Uh, yeah, hiring uh, uh, black athletes, black stars, but also people from Mexico um, and Latin America in general. But he said that he thought black people lacked the necessities, and I think he might have even done the swimming thing. Like they float differently. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was happening when I was 19 years old, man. Yeah, like that, yeah. I remember that world. We don't live in that world. Yeah. We just don't. Whatever mom, world we live in, can't it's swim, messed up. So that well, it's just Jamaican, Camille. Yeah, like, it's, it's like 16. Things surround Why would you learn how if you can't swim? This is true. <laughs> Why? Yeah. It's so true. It's like that all over the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, so much water too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I've told the story before about like Nevis and being there and and hearing about this ferry that like crashes and like everyone dies because just no what? one can swim. Yeah, it's like crazy. Um, but it's also just the water is really really rough in between Nevis and Saint Kitts. Um, but I I'm confident I haven't told you guys about the woman that I met this week. I'm I'm walking no. uh, by the water near my house and. Uh, you know, people randomly talk to you on the street here. This is a thing that I'm still getting used to. And I try my best to look really busy and like working on my phone, like doing something just so I don't have to do it. Because sometimes Over I just your feel headphones. a little more like a New Yorker. They don't care. They don't care. <laughs> so, hey, how are you? And then they like move like, to what? get a, get a better angle on you. Hi. Hi. Just wanted to say good morning. Um, and there's there's a couple of things going on here. Um, and it's actually Moynihan. We, I was having lunch with a friend um, of, of ours, a mutual friend. And yes. I was telling him this story because it just happened like yesterday. And I'm standing standing there and this woman comes by and she says something about like our two dogs. And I'm going to bluster through all of this very quickly you know, we talk about the dogs and whatever. And at some point she finds a way to bring it around to like the awfulness of the human condition. And she says to me, you know, the last 400 years have just been terrible. Oh, and I'm, I'm so flummoxed. And I just kind of go, huh? And then she walks away and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with these people? But you get that vaccine. The expression of solidarity. (laughs) The expression of solidarity with me is, you know, the last four hundred years have been so terrible. And I have to tell you, it happens very frequently here that I will talk to someone and they very quickly proceed to, God, it must be so hard for you. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, this Mm -hmm. is just terrible. And he our, our mutual friend says to me, Well, you know, Camille, these people don't have many opportunities to yes. put their values into practice. So they're exactly eager right. to say hello to you when they see you on the <laughs> yes, street, which is one right. thing. And they're also <laughs> eager to express their, their, you know, concern 
on your behalf. And it is very odd to be sort of responded to in that way. And I can only say it's, it's like people see you and they immediately presume you have some sort of disability. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. the weirdest shit. And it's, mm -hmm. it's these earnest expressions of concern. So I actually see the woman again on my way back up because there was like oh. this, this whale in the, in the water, in the bay yeah, yeah, out yeah. there. And I, I saw the whale and you stand there, you watch the whale do the things. It's amazing. It looks like a damn subway car kind of coming up and going back beneath the surface. And we talk briefly again. And I said, you know, the last 400 years actually been pretty fucking remarkable. You know, that whole moral arc bending towards justice. I think that shit is working. Like people are a little crazy now, but things have been pretty good. You should keep that in mind and just yeah. keep walking. Like, but I, I do like have this determined in, impulse to, to just grab these people and shake them by their shoulders. And I, I can't imagine why they think it's a good idea to, to promulgate all of this nonsense. Well, you'd get away with the crime in California now. So well, it's not it. a crime anymore. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. not a crime at a minimum. Actually, maybe I should take advantage of this. I mean, become a repeat it's offender of, wouldn't be a problem. A really for me. bad movie. You should always point this out to people. And I know you're going to say, I'm not black, but just bear with me for a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I know that, how you that, people see me. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that, that white guilt is far more annoying for black people than it is for white people. <laughs> it's the worst shit. I don't, it's the worst shit. It's like, I it's don't, why so, are you presuming all this so stuff about me? It's so uncomfortable. I've never seen you before. <laughs> we, that happened, you remember that happened to us when we were, we were out in, um, when you were out in East Hampton and we were sitting eating and that woman came by with her dog mm -hmm. and she was clearly trying to, Get the dog towards. I mean, this is the difference between now and 1965. They're trying to set the dogs on people so they can actually talk to them now. It's like the opposite of Bull Connor. It's like the dog. She's like pushing the dog toward Camille, and then Camille turns around. He's like, "Oh, you dog!" And she's like, "I'm sorry. I'm very sorry about everything." This shit is and real. I was like, what? Like it's real. She literally. Yeah. Because it was. Bef I think it was before the election. Was or was it right after? It, and it, it was, was like. Yeah. It was. Yeah, I think it was like maybe it was that the days after. And yeah, it was, was the like, days after. Yeah, yeah, and she was like, let's cross our fingers so yeah. we don't get the and racism this wasn't, anymore. This was definitely a circumstance where she's looking at me and talking yeah, to me. Yeah, me. I wasn't. I was like, like, we're at was this like, table together and she's talking to me. And she said, I was did literally it. the ugly friend it. in the club. <laughs> and I was like, guy didn't want to talk to me. So and I was, crazy. And, and, and Camille was like, hey, I'm up here. You know, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> Stop looking at my amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's like so funny because I think we've. Because you had, yeah, you, had, you were moving at that point. Yeah, and, yeah. This you know, is like the this is what I was time. doing my uh, my my week or so up up north before abandoning the city. Yeah, well, yeah. not north, but it, you know, outside of the city, east. But whatever. but but it was like the one time we hung out, and within yeah, ten minutes it happens there was all the time. It is the weirdest. Somebody thing. coming over. Yeah. I don't know why you don't just put like a have a T shirt that has like a <laughs> QR code for Venmo and just be like, do that. <laughs> Do that I, instead. I actually wouldn't feel bad about it. Like those those people need to be liberated for. Oh my god, they might give it to Ibram Kendi, like instead. Dude, yeah. that's great. Let's use an idea that oh. that uh -oh. the shirt that just says that just says in a nice typeface it just says reparations and has a QR code. <laughs> oh my god! And you start talking to you and be like, scan that shit, take your phone out. You know how to do it because it's the menus these days. Now that's everyone right. knows how to do the QR We've been code trained. stuff. I can even do it. Trained. Yeah, you oh, can even do it. No. Get it up. Make some money. <laughs> <sighs>
Um, and then we split it. Because <laughs> it was the white man's idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, should we talk about some of the other stuff that's going on? I mean, the, Biden had his first press conference today. and been a lot of concern about the fact that he hadn't had one for some time. And apparently he didn't fall flat on his face. So that's a success. Uh, fielded a bunch of questions on a range of topics, uh, voting rights stuff. Uh, apparently Georgia and a number of other states are passing various voting restrictions of different kinds. I, I I don't know, Matt, if you've been following that very closely, but I mean, I'm looking, I was looking at the stories about that today and it seems to me that there are a number of restrictions being enacted, but it, it's not like super racist gerrymandering. It's early voting getting knocked off or something, not, not knocked off, but cur- curtailed um, in Georgia in particular, I guess the, the person who, is supposed to oversee the election was actually voted for before. And now it's someone who's appointed by the legislature. So it's a number of changes of that sort that are supposed to ensure greater election integrity, despite the fact that we haven't seen uh, clear evidence of any sort of election misconduct, which is important. But I mean, you know, there's that. Um, also, foreign policy stuff came up as well. A uh, question about Afghanistan and whether or not we're going to remove the the handful of troops that are still there. I mean, it matters. It's what, 2,500, something like that. Uh, Joe Biden, I guess there was a deadline. It was supposed to be in May of this year that Donald Trump had agreed with the Taliban to remove those troops. Joe Biden suggested that, yeah, that deadline, we're probably not going to be able to make that. Uh, also went on to say that he doesn't want them there forever. Uh, maybe a year, he suggested, but then kind of backed away from it and was- He campaigned- he campaigned, as did the entire Democratic field, with no mm-hmm. major exceptions to my knowledge, on, no, we really got to get the troops home now from Afghanistan, right? Um, which was surprising, given Biden's uh, track record, mm-hmm. although his later-in-life track record has been more uh, uh, skeptical about interventions. But, like, that was a, a very direct uh, campaign thing. So to go from there to, like, ah, I'm not really sure, um, is not surprising at all. Um, but it's worth um, singling out for criticism because mm-hmm. it's 20 years now, right? Like we've long since passed gone through what, you know, Thomas Massey was talking about for a long time, that there are people serving in Afghanistan who are younger than the Afghanistan war. Um, it's, it's there's like you're never going to leave on any good terms. So just stop it. That is like, mind blowing. I mean, I, d- I mean, that's when, obvious math and neocon as we have on this podcast. So you're you're going to be my stand in <laughs> here. I mean, the the the, the argument yeah. that I've heard posited here from people who think that the the, the troop deployment is reasonable and that it's fairly mm-hmm. small is that in order to collect any sort of intelligence from the region, we do have to have some sort of meaningful presence there for them to be able to provide like baseline security. The the thought that 2,500-odd U.S. troops, along with whatever other foreign contingent is there, um, supported by local forces, is enough to sort of provide protection for an intelligence gathering operation, I don't know how credible that is. also seems to me that there's at least as much possibility of them doing something that infuriates a few people, which is probably enough Mm -hmm. to keep tensions broiling. I mean, what do you do in a circumstance like that? I don't know that we have a similar a very, similar contingent on the ground in North Korea, no. but well, we have it in South Korea. But I mean, yeah. it, it, and that's one of the reasons. Uh, I mean, of course, there was the war never ended in South Korea; mm-hmm. it's an armistice and not a, a declaration of peace. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very strange argument, right? I mean, there, there are so many places. Imagine applying that to every other place in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you get better intelligence when you're directly on the ground, but at what cost? And it, at this at this point, when we're uh, 20 years in, that is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, we can trace back that our earliest earliest um activity in vietnam not even close right um you know and and like that tail end when you still have some people there and from you know 73 and 74 there's like some you know some people left is you know this is all dragging out the end of the humiliation and if you're negotiating with the taliban um which if you if you told matt welch if you told michael moynihan that we'd be negotiating with the taliban and not that that sentence would not <laughs> provoke howls of outrage from both parties. Yeah. I mean, you said that in 2003. Like, yeah, yeah. Are you joking? Yeah. And as a matter of fact, you can go back and see people that were torn to bits by everybody for even suggesting it early on. And there were suggestions very early on that we have to uh, talk with the Taliban and, and start negotiating with them. Mm-hmm. Not too early on, but, you know, again, 20 years, what's early on at this point? But yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a silly thing, but the other difference is you say, well, you have these troops in the Horn of Africa, you have um, you know troops here, troops there. The difference is those are not troops that have been recently fighting in a hot war mm-hmm. and that the sort of you know default position is an enemy in a country that has to be driven out by force of arms by a group that is actually not the government in Kabul, right? So, I mean, the, the, you know, what is the, I mean, what is the, and, and this is always important to see what does the government of Kabul want? We've had you know, from post Hamid Karzai, everything has been, you know, not terribly friendly. The same thing in, in Iraq, too, in Baghdad. I mean, there, this has not been uh, governments that have been installed by the U.S. in the way that in Afghanistan, up until 1989, even the government that was installed by the Soviet Union was still doing the puppetry. They're not doing the puppetry anymore. There's no purpose of this anymore. I mean, one more life in Afghanistan is worth nothing for America mm-hmm. and it's worth everything for the family. If somebody gets killed, yeah. you don't gain anything from this at this point. You have to, you know, it, it's like in the stock market, it's like stocks go up and down and you say, okay, well, it's not going to go up the whole time. We'll see what happens. But as people say, you don't want to be a bag holder. You don't want to have a stock that you bought for a hundred dollars. and It's going to be 10 and just going to wait for it to go up again. It's not going to ever go up You're That's what they call a bag holder, right? We don't want to be a bag holder in Afghanistan. We have been a bag holder for a long time. No changes are going to happen. It was a failed experiment in, in the sense that, you know, I think the justification of going in was, was in, in, in a lot of ways unimpeachable. And I know a lot of people would disagree with that, but it was the right thing to do. Um, and I think that we would have had chaotic domestic politics if nothing happened at all to go after, um, you know, bin Laden and the people that were sheltering him. Uh, but, you know, admit defeat and, 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 and pull back. Um, you know, look, I mean, Joe Biden's at a point where he's being tested all around. He's being tested on the border. He's being tested in North Korea, just sent up two ballistic missiles, what, today or yesterday? Um, that's not a coincidence. I mean, that's like, okay, the new guy's in. Let's see how he's going to react. Mm-hmm. And he's going to go through a series of tests right now. And he's failing them already. And I think he's failing them, particularly on the border, just because the argument right now is that, no, 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 it's not, it's not a wave. It's not, uh, it's not a crisis. It's not they're having these semantic debates. And it's like, uh, the first, I remember last week when I got down, there was like 5,000 kids are in, in, in detentions there. Today, it's 17,000, Yeah, mm-hmm. right? 17,000, 17,000. And then you have these people, you know, say, well, it's seasonal. It's just a little uptick that you always get. It's like, no, no, no. The, people are saying this 
that are being interviewed that are being and people on the border are so i mean like as a like domestic policy right now is where uh joe biden should be focusing and if there's any legacy from donald trump that uh, should be continued is you know keep let's let's keep our let's keep our footprint small everywhere else because hmm. it, you know you can be have sort of as you jokingly say but as you know, true enough as it, as it was <laughs> to have some neocon instincts back in the day, but those start disappearing um, when when you see um, you can't look. Basically, the thing about this is what I realized later, and I, and it's stupid that I didn't realize it at the time, is that you can't have you know enormous amounts of skepticism about the competence of Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. and then think that that disappears in Iraq and yeah. Afghanistan. Yeah, and 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 that's been proven over 20 years and, and the right thing now is to uh, disengage as much as possible in, in, in Afghanistan. There's no purpose of being there and he should, he should stick to what, what he I said mean, during the campaign. Isn't, we it, won, isn't it remarkable we won to the consider? War. Oh, sorry, Matt, go ahead, please. Just, we won the war in December, 2001. Mm-hmm. We, we accomplished the objective, which is, Oh, you're going, you run the government you people who shelter the terrorists who knock down our buildings. You no longer have the yeah. right to, to own a government. Yeah. We're yeah. going to overthrow you. Yeah, yeah. Great. We won. You fucking sorted out. We're going home. And then we um, undertook is, a regime regime change project that utterly we, failed. So for we won the years. war and we <laughs> failed Jeez. the regime change project, which at the same time led to a lot of people in military leadership getting bars. And before you, since I'm already have the ball, uh, and sorry about that, but like <laughs> the, uh, a, a, an, an incredible thing that happened that t- people ha- didn't make a lot of news was an interview, and I'm already going to botch who did it and where it was. Um, but uh, over the last month or so where um, someone who was on the ground in the military brass in uh, Afghanistan was bragging about hiding the numbers of the actual troop uh, uh, troop deployment from the commander in chief, Donald Trump, like bragging about, oh, yeah, it was fine. We never really wanted him to know how many there were because he'd freak out about it. It's like that is a great excuse to pull the plug on all kinds of shit. If if the military is not telling the commander in chief, the civilian commander in chief, what the hell is going on, then uh, then you have lost a a basic right to uh, continue business as usual. That is some messed up shit. And it's and it is uh, it, it continues a whole like militarization of every problem that we've been doing in foreign policy for a long time. And it's awful. It was the outgoing point, Syrian was... Syrian envoy who admitted to, oh, to okay. hiding the numbers yeah. from Trump. Yeah, yeah. We, and to we, Matt's we, point, was, I mean, we were he... always playing shell games. No, you don't get to play <laughs> shell games with the commander in chief, the civilian yeah. commander. No, no, yeah, fuck, yeah. you shouldn't do that. Well, if you no, tell him Matt's how many point, there are there, he may pull them out. Matt, I mean, that's a problem. You want to be very careful about yeah. that. Um. Yeah, to Matt's point. Well, I was, hear more about. Yeah, it. no, no, no. I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. cut any of that. I want I want people to hear you say it four times. Say it again. No, I don't want to say it. Again. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to change it. Matt's point was fucking dumb. That's all I'm going to say. What a dumb point that was. Uh, I just sitting here going, God, what a jacket. Um, no, I mean, we did. We did. This is the, the, this weird conflation of languages. Like we did actually achieve regime change. The problem was that we didn't want to just change the regime. We wanted to change the culture. And the culture was not able to change. And I think it's wrong. And people at the time, I made this point before many, many, many years ago. But the point is an odd mm. one that people accused the Bush administration and people around it 
you know, of Islamophobia and having, and I'm sure there were people in the universe of that, that in the universe of the Bush administration, but George Bush uh, himself was probably guilty of the opposite and thinking that these people are just like us and we can transpose our way of governance onto them and they will pick it up and run with it because that's what they've been crying out for, but they've been under the boot heel of the Soviets, of the Taliban, et cetera. This is a mistake we've made so many times recently and I don't think it's a mistake we'll make again in the future. Well, not in the near future. It'll probably about 10 years we'll do it again. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. You don't know. Um, so... Yeah, what what else so, what else is going on? I, I saw the he's, story. He's looking at porn, isn't he? No, like, no. You can, see, you can see the screen in front of him. It's I'm flashing. Some, some no, well, I mean, that's pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oakland <laughs> giving five hundred dollar checks to low income families, um, and uh, the fun thing about this program, which is it, it's going to be, I guess, operated by the city of Oakland. It is privately funded. There's some private funder. Uh, and it is a, a pilot program. There's only a, a couple of families that have been uh, greenlit for this, but white people are being excluded from this program explicitly. <laughs> so it's for low income people in the city of Oakland. But if you are low income and you happen to be white, I mean, listen, God gave you so much, right? He gave you so much. He made you white. You can't be mm -hmm. poor too, motherfucker. It's not no. too bad for you. No. No help for you. You do not get There is so much privilege check. in that tent under the overpass. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I cannot believe how privileged it is to be in that tent. Yeah. Why is the government getting involved in this? Why isn't the person just handing it out himself? I don't know. Herself. I don't know. But I, I mean, it does not I, seem like something the government of Oakland should be involving itself in. No, the, Ra the, racially exclusive to, to the extent they're doing this. I mean, it seems cash. like the sort of thing where there ought to be some kind of court challenge. I, would uh, like I have so, to imagine, yeah. even if it's with private law. money, right? I, I mean, yeah, I would imagine so. I don't, maybe they've worked this out, but it would seem to be that that would be illegal. I mean, Camilla, you've now been a, a California resident for at least a few months. Mm. Um, the East Bay has some poor white people. Uh, undoubtedly yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the articles i've seen refer to refer to at least Holy crap. ten thousand people who would would yeah. qualify i imagine it might even be no but like there's some of the like worst poor white people too like yeah, intense yeah, yeah. homelessness all over this area it, it's it always strikes me as very odd that a program like this um i, I think it was actually evanston chicago which is uh evanston illinois, illinois which is just outside of chicago um which did a new reparations program, which is funded by revenue from the sale of marijuana. And they are giving $25,000 checks to black people explicitly who have lived in the city since uh, what the 1950s or something like that, essentially up to the point, it might be late 1960s, um, but up to the point where their like redlining uh, restrictions were moved. So if you live there during that period of time or you can prove that you are the descendant of someone who lived there during that period of time. You could be eligible to get a $25,000 check at some point in the future, um, which, again, this is specifically for redlining. So this is a, a different kind of program. Um, but all the same, in that particular case, like that one strikes me as a bit odd because in Chicago, the very, very best thing that they can imagine doing with millions of dollars of tax revenue is giving it to a couple of, in most cases, I imagine, like middle-class families, uh, as opposed to maybe focusing on like the extraordinary rates of violent crime that are taking place 
within like very small sections of the city that are as dangerous as an active war zone when you take into account the actual population that the bodies are being collected from with respect to to the size of the city like chicago is a pretty big city the actual area the territory that is being affected by all of the violent crime that's happening there is really really small um and it's pretty extraordinary that this is this is what they think justice looks like racially racially driven um entitlement programs um and tax revenue being redistributed to the middle class usually from weeds usually from weed usually from weed like whenever like uh new york as we mentioned earlier looks like they're legalizing weed finally but in the discussions and of course it takes new york you know decades after it seems after everywhere else but all of the discussions were like well we're only going to do this if we can take the proceeds from this and give it to black businesses it's like where why are you making that connection i mean i understand there's a classic and i think correct uh camille might disagree but uh you know there's no evidence that uh black americans smoke pot at any rate higher than white americans but they're arrested four times as much for it and so that feels hinky and wrong um and and so like you might like think about it uh, on those levels but uh, on the other hand we're talking about reparations um in evanson's case and what i haven't seen in the reporting and i'm sure it's there and i apologize for not getting deeper into it but redlining oftentimes was governments um, literally just sort of uh, not like drawing a line saying you can't come here, right. but uh, actually sharing data <clears throat> with the private sector about who lives where. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the racism that happened was uh, with what people did with the information. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we don't want, look, a lot of black people coming in this neighborhood. Uh, that means that we should sell or we should maybe re jigger our insurance uh, schemes or whatever um it seems to me if you're doing reparations and i'm not against reparations as a concept actually there's a i think a, i mean as a category that we call reparations reparations to the families of japanese americans who were interned in california largely were right and just those were american citizens who mm-hmm. had their houses and their property stolen mm-hmm. um many cases were very patriotic not that that should be the end all thing it was awful how they were they were treated in a moment of of high paranoia and a bunch of other things that you can sure um you can kind of understand the context of it but still it was incredibly unjust and wrong and so if you can find you know the direct descendants of this in a horrible taking that had a price tag associated with it, then you can work towards reparations of, of that thing. Uh, redlining doesn't always tend to be that cut and dried. I think you'd be better um, finding like specific Jim Crow type laws or segregation type laws um, that, uh, or, you know, you couldn't participate uh-huh. in life in certain ways type laws. Redlining, it's not always so clear. And then um, to sort of tie it with weed is weird to try to figure out who the victims are and to, to price it. Um, it is a little bit weird when it's specifically redlining. If you got to find the crime, you know, put a price tag on that crime. Um, and I think more likely you will find uh, that an easier process when you look at really shitty eminent domain takings 
um, against uh, poor, predominantly poor neighborhoods all over the place. Chavez Ravine in Los Angeles, most uh, notoriously, but elsewhere. Um, but just to say, ah, we're going to do reparations because we were, you know, kind of racist sixty years ago, and that, that that's going to be a lot more difficult to do. I think. I mean, you could yeah, be a I mean, racist there's... white person who was injured by reparations. Um, not reparations, but redlining policy. Like, if you owned a home in a particular area of town and it was effectively redlined. They didn't give you an exception because you were white and you were trying to sell your home and the market value of these homes had been depressed. <laughs> it still affected you and it affected a lot of other people of various races. So the problem I have with these policies is that they are ahistorical. It's not merely black people who were injured by those policies. They were, they were bad for anyone who was impacted by them. So yes, definitely. If you are a person who is alive and who had been mistreated by the government in this way because of these policies, um, I, I do think that having some sort of uh, 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 reparations related to that is totally appropriate in the sense that there's a genuine material injury, but you can't restrict it so far as I'm concerned to one category of injured party and, and not allow for any other injured party who can show like just cause and a material injury to not be able to, to actually be restored in that way. I think when it becomes more abstract and you're talking about hundreds of years worth of injury, um, this becomes a lot harder. Like the fact yeah. that slavery as a program in the South was something that was actually injuring white Southerners as well. If you were a low income white Southerner and you lived during the time when slavery was permitted, like you had a difficult time like finding work. Your wages were depressed. The benefits of the institution, this disgusting, deplorable institution went to a particular segment of the population and not to others. There were there were people who owned farms who may have had a slave who were working alongside alongside that slave in the fields. Like the actual complexity of history and of the history of the United States uh, related to these things is is worth trying to understand in some sort of a nuanced way. And it makes a lot of these schemes like far more. Um, complicated to imagine instituting, especially when it gets to a situation where the expectation is that Camille Foster, who also the descendant of formerly enslaved peoples um, who did labor at no at no benefit to themselves, like I'm supposed to pay reparations. I'm supposed to pay taxes that support reparations for black people in the United States. It, it's obscene. It makes zero sense. Well, I mean, I'm also I'm also apparently not allowed to have an opinion on this because I'm Jamaican. Because you're Jamaican. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, and by the way, you're not Fair enough. you're not Jamaican. I agree. <laughs> it's, it's we can debate whether or not you're black, but you're definitely not Jamaican. <laughs> you're, you're from America. Your parents are Jamaican. I mean, I'm allowed um, to pay taxes to support a scheme like this. I'm not yeah. allowed to object to it. I can't have an opinion on it in public because I'm Jamaican. Fuck you. I'm a tax. But is there is there anything <laughs> more complicated? that has been flattened in such a stupid way than redressing, you know, historical inequities with cash payments. And as Camille's point is that the number of people that are actually affected by this, this is, I mean, the Evanston one is, is more interesting because it is, you know, these are actual examples, like individual examples that you can actually point out. And if you can, if you can manage to do that, that's more interesting. And it's kind of like, 
you know, tracing a Rembrandt painting that is now in a museum in Oslo that was 70 years ago stolen from a Jewish family in Leipzig. I mean, I get those are because, you know, hey, I'm that was my father's painting. And like, how do you and I actually have the provenance of it. So like I get those sort of more specific things. But I don't know if anyone's ever talked to anybody about these issues, you know, on dinner party or, you know, friends or, you know, on Twitter who really understands the nuances of history. And, you know, these are difficult issues. I mean, historians don't even agree on them. I mean, we talk mm-hmm. about, you know, the 1619 Project is not about the the Nicole Hannah Joneses of the world. It's about, you know, the fact that, you know, Gordon Wood, one of the most eminent scholars of the early American Republic, who writes these doorstop books about history, says this whole thing is wrong. And this is normal. You know, historians do this. They go back and forth about this stuff. So it's not as if there's one determined narrative and we're just operating off of that. And then from there, we'll determine a dollar value. This stuff is bizarre and complicated. But the one thing that people don't really think about, particularly when you mentioned the Oakland thing, I don't know why, because I think it's one of the most important issues, is that, you know, past couple weeks, I've been talking to people who are angry and disaffected and think that, I mean, I've never heard the word elites used so much out of, outside of my, you know, economics classes in college, but by a totally different type of people. And they feel so kind of, you know, forgotten about and condescended to, specifically condescended to. And when this kind of thing comes up, we talk about polarization. We want to end polar. We can't vote for Donald Trump. That's a polarizing figure. Yeah, he's a polarizing figure. I don't think polarization, that type of polarization is good at all. And so what does this do when you take a bunch of people in Oakland and say, you don't get anything? Mm-hmm. No, but I have a, I'm living under a bridge. It's like, right. nah, you, you're, right. your life has been pretty good. It's like, no, no, actually, my life's been pretty shitty from, you know, if you look at this from kind of a class perspective, I'm not, I'm not doing so hot here. And if you go down and see those tent cities in, 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 in San Francisco, a lot of white people, a uh-huh. lot of white people, a lot, a lot of white people, you know? And so these are not people in families and people living in those neighborhoods and everything who are going to walk away from this saying, yeah, that was good. That was good. The, the, the fissure that this creates between ordinary Americans is going to be great. And it's going to create more division. And people say, well, you know, that's, that's that's life. That's mm-hmm. what. To what end? Yeah. If you give twenty thousand dollars to somebody, they're going to say, "Okay, we're done now. No more. Everything's over. We're good." Or is this the first in many projects of kind of reparations, like payments? Particularly when you think of it, you know, there are so many reparations type things that are already in existence, and people, I don't know, for some reason, recoil when you when you point out that affirmative action is meant as a form of reparations. It is what it is for. It's what it is. It's not, un- it's not what under it the is. umbrella of yeah. modern reparations, but that's what it is. Yeah. And there, there are active plans to do this. And those things have already driven wedges between groups of people in America, particularly affirmative action. Um, so how do we think this is going to end? You know, go, when we talk about foreign policy, go into Iraq. Can we think about the last bit too? Can we think about how we're going to get out of there? We, we love to think about the first bit, but not the last bit. Yeah. So we talk about this like, oh, it's going to be amazing and everyone's going to be happy and they're going to have $20,000, $50,000, whatever. Okay, what about the next chess move? How is, how is America going to be left after that? And I get it when people say, who fucking cares? All right, fine. 
If that's what you want, who fucking cares? Great. But I'm just going to tell you from just an experience in the past couple of weeks of talking to people, this is not stuff that, that people take lying down and they actually take it as an assault on their very livelihood mm -hmm. in their very being and who they are. And they just condescend to us and they call us these names. And if, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that in the past couple of weeks, it's just like a mantra to people. And the more and more stuff that we do that is like this, that is not really targeted, that is just sort of racially coded and categorized, I just don't think it's going to end well. I mean, it's not, it's not merely the offensiveness of a policy like this, right? I mean, there's, there's the, the, fundamental issue of this being a violation of the principle of equal protection under the law, which is, I mean, that's, that's the law of the land here in the United States. So that's a concern, but it's also, and it's an observation that I, I made to someone earlier today, but like core principles of like racist ideology are <laughs> that you believe individuals will sort very neatly into discrete groups. And second, that those groups exist in some sort of hierarchy. And there's a very real sense in which both of those core principles exist amongst like the anti-racists who are promulgating policies like this and, and insisting on them and, and trying to find various ways to institute policies that are trying to ameliorate some sort of societal bad like poverty, but are trying to do it in such a way that what they're addressing themselves to is the disparity the policy suggests it it puts into the DNA of the country, like the philosophical underpinning of it is if you are poor and you are white, your poverty doesn't matter as much because, you know, there are less overall as a percentage of the population, less white people who are poor. And that's the way that we should think about poverty <laughs> as percentage, as percentage allocations to racial groups. One, I mean, I suspect most government, I expect most government policy um, programs like this to fail in various ways and to perhaps even be counterproductive. So to gear all of them towards black people in that way could have some unintended consequences later on down mm. the road. Um, but even more than that, I mean, the, the morality of an approach like that, like should just offend any decent person's sensibilities. There's no universe in which my, my suffering is ameliorated because I know that, you know, fewer black people overall are poor, even if I'm still poor or my suffering is ameliorated. If I know, well, you know, I'm white and I'm poor, but I kind of, you know, I had a lot of chances that the black guy did. <laughs> I just have. screwed the ball up, you know, should have tried a little <laughs> yeah. harder. Like yeah. that is effectively the argument that's being offered up here. And yeah. it's, it's pernicious and ugly. My my suffering will intensify if fucking Camille Foster gets any fucking reparations money. I'm just going <laughs> to put that out right now. Like, motherfucker, yeah. have you seen his I mean, I would, do something, I would do something great with it. I would. I would. I would do something <laughs> noble and virtuous. Everybody, everybody else gets 25000 but Camille's never fly coach, so we get $75,000. It's, it's a line item in the bill. <laughs> uh, I, could, I could get behind that, maybe. You can find yeah. a way to support it. Um, I just I want everyone to look around them. If you live in a place that where there's a lot of wealth, um, whether it's you know New York or Los Angeles, San Francisco, and realize pretty quick, you will realize pretty quickly that the privileges that you see are entirely class based. Uh -huh. And I know a number of people of various ethnicities that have walked into Yale and walked into Harvard, and I meet people who grew up in places that were absolutely 
you know, ravaged by, you know, a changing economy. Used to be places that, you know, did manufacturing that, that, that left. And I'm not, I'm a free trade guy. I mean, I understand how that happens, but do people are affected by it, right? And these people just don't have any sense of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. When you see somebody who is, you know, uh, like Hispanic, but they're, I mean, what we code in America stupidly as Hispanic is like, you know, somebody whose dad was, uh, you know, the, like a, a member of parliament in Spain or something. I mean, it's just, this is, these things have nothing in common with, and of course, as I mentioned the Patreon, I, I, I met people on the border. All of them were Hispanic. All of them would have, if they said what they said to me as me, they would be like, wow, what a reactionary about immigration policy. Hmm. It's like, stop categorizing and coding people by race, primarily, not because it's divisive, because it's stupid. Yeah. yeah. Utterly stupid. I mean, what is the commonality between, you know, somebody from Cuba, somebody from Spain, somebody from Central America, uh, somebody from Mexico? I mean, these are, and I, I keep banging on about this, and I've said this, and particularly for Patreon listeners who know I've said this a lot, <laughs> is that there is no such thing as Hispanic. It makes no sense. Are you Hispanic if you are, you know, uh, you know what we call Indian or people of, you know, in Central America versus somebody who looks, uh, you know, European, whose uh, parents were or grandparents came from Spain to Cuba. I mean, it, like, none of this makes any sense. And the more you look at it, the dumber mm -hmm. it sounds. And particularly when people are talking about immigration from, you know, not reporting on it from anywhere close to the border or doing it from the other side. I, I totally understand. And you need those stories that that you know, go with people and how horrible this journey is and to understand why they want to leave. I mean, I understand them. I mean, I have incredible amounts of sympathy. And the reason is, is because I think this is a pretty fucking great country and I'd want to get here too, uh, particularly when you're coming from a place that's that's not so great and is shuffling between various half authoritarian regimes and places where you don't have property rights and all the sort of, you know, fundamental building blocks of a democracy have none of that, right? And I get it. I get it. But then there's people right on the other side who live there, are not white, and are like, wait a second. And they're totally forgotten about. It. They're totally ignored. They become a statistic right after the election. Say, oh, look at Donald Trump's, you know, he, he gained amongst Hispanics and this, 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 this. Well, why? Well, the reason why is for the purposes of what I'm saying right now, irrelevant. Doesn't matter. The point is, is your ideas about quote unquote Hispanics are meaningless. It doesn't matter why they, they you know, sort of lurched a little bit towards Donald Trump, and in some cases a lot. doesn't matter. The reasoning, figure it out later. But I am told endlessly that there is Latin people, there is black people or Latinx people, black people, you know, gay people, and they just all have, I mean, Andrew Sullivan made a point the other day that so many of these people that are on Substack that are like giving the finger to, to the sort of dominant political culture now are gay and lesbian. You know, himself, Glenn Greenwald, Katie Herzog, there's a, there's a whole uh, Barry, a, a whole list of uh, people. And, there, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know why that's interesting. Like, mm -hmm. why does who you have sex with have anything to do with what you think about bozo ideas about stupid yeah. politics? You know, yeah. it shouldn't have anything to do with it. But it, we're seeing the crumbling as uh, of these dumb categories and there's people desperate to keep to us in them. these categories. Yeah.
and 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 they, they, naturally they're not going to survive. And, and they don't see only the survive by force. They don't see the contradiction. No. They don't see how insane it is. Like it, it, it was the thing about watching that bizarre clip from from Sesame Street, the new the new <laughs> black Muppet family, which has been introduced. Which imagine this: a show that has existed for decades that has yeah. featured prominent black characters on the show, like prominent. actual human beings who are black for yeah. decades, right? Yes. And now they create Muppets, caricatures of the Negro, to bring on to set, to say, to confess openly, hi, Elmo. Well, you know, the color of my skin is a very important part of who I am. Who the fuck wrote this? David Duke? Yeah. What kind of bullshit is this? Well, Are you, you kidding me? Racist. <laughs> this is crazy. It. And and they say <laughs> that in the context of saying <laughs> that was Elmo. That's I got. Him, just, I got ne- that he was going next for time Elmo. I'll just do Melania. <laughs> no, she's not allowed on the show. She's yeah, awful yeah, yeah. because of racism. Best, the racism of her husband. Muppet. But what's totally fine is Muppets suggesting that the color of your skin is an important part of who you are. It's crazy. Mm. Like the if there mm. is anything I learned from the many years I spent watching Sesame Street as a child, it is that the color of your skin or your fucking fur didn't matter. And also that Bird and Ernie were totally fucking and it's okay because love. Oh, and, and and by the way, Mr. Hooper ran the Council of Conservative Citizens in his little district. He was clearly a racist. <laughs> and I think that that's what everyone should understand. And old uh, like Wald- Waldorf and Astoria up in the balcony, they're also fucking. Amazing. Yeah. Little, Not Sesame little. Street. Uh, uh, Stat- <laughs> Statler and Waldorf. And I mean, clearly white nationalists. I mean, you know, they were laughing at people of different races. The count, hey. Hey. <laughs> Camille, Camille, be real. The, the count is purple, right? I'm not. I'm not mm-hmm. misremember that. Purple, so like, yeah, yeah. He sounds yeah. like Melania. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what the, the two? Uh, it's it's one of those. I, I mean, I really don't. I don't think, you know, it it is representative of like this horrible, like end of days because the, the Sesame Street has adopted this this new program, but I do think it is very dispiriting. It's mm. tough to watch people abandon principles that I just grew up believing were so fundamental and universal that we but all you know understood you may... that this shit just doesn't matter, that the least important yeah. thing about you is the color of your skin. And now it's, yeah, we can all live together in harmony, but also race is super fucking important. But that's it. That's honor, what you honor said. Honor my race. What, what you said is that this is a, a television show that has been like admirably racially mixed for his its entire Forever. existence. There were like Hispanic characters, there's a Mexican American character, and there was a woman and a guy who were both Hispanic. Like in Spanish was spoken on the show, et cetera. Frequently. Yes. They were like they had they, they brought in like a they didn't have to force that bullshit. So why is this character exist? Well, as you said, it's not about having somebody who has a different skin tone because they've had that for a long time. It's about the character that comes in and says, we have to believe in the primacy of my skin tone, which is yes. not another, it'd be weird if the other character said that. So they have to introduce a new one that says it. <laughs> it's crazy. <sighs> yeah, no, I know. It's like, you know, people roll their eyes and say, oh God, this is like, yeah, but there's a certain point at which where it, it seeps into everything and you're just like, enough. This is kind of, this is kind of getting a little ridiculous because I don't think it's a response 
to a desire or a demand. Mm-hmm. There's 2% of the population that is thinking these types of thoughts in saying we need to make this 50% of the population. Mm-hmm. So let's try to infiltrate the culture, you know, the long march through the institutions, as I guess Antonio Gramsci said, you know, this is, they're through the institutions now. And I don't think it's the end of civilization. I'm not losing sleep over it, but it is kind of irritating. And I see, you know, people in people's families, Matt Welch, uh, who, you know, <laughs> it's just part of who growing up now. Easy put Latinx in her uh, paper that I read today. Mm. Would you tell her that I, her met, up, I met a bunch of people who there. had no idea that what that was. <laughs> Literally, and they didn't speak English. They had no idea I, what it was. And when I, when I, 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 Flinched. Like, and, I'm like Latinx, Latinx. They're like, I don't. Okay. She, first, she, first of all, she she's handing me things. <laughs> she pronounced it. She pronounced it Latinx, <laughs> and she also said, "But that's just that's just what they that's what just what our teachers tell us to say at school." So yeah, uh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just following the orders. Just copy yeah, propagandists. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, those I'm schools sure can't they're, fail they're fast from enough. Maine. I don't want them yeah. to reopen. I want every American <laughs> to be so angry. Just pull your kids out of that school. Find a way. Yeah. It'd just be a, a renaissance for private education in America. Hey, man, we're we're going we're going private in the fall with a little. That's one. what I want. That's what I want. It, the numbers are are bad everywhere. Man. Sign up for that Patreon like, so people mass kids are can go to abandoning school. the school system. <laughs> they are all over the place. San Francisco it's, numbers I saw recently not great. It, they're they're stunning, and I know I've bored everyone too much with it, and so I don't want to extend the conversation. But they're it really is stunning those numbers, and and the extent to which they're um, they are shooting themselves not just in the foot but in the face uh, with the policies that they've adopted over the last two years. It's amazing. I mean, there, there's so balls. many things the schools do bad, <laughs> yeah. like so many things they do bad. Imagine that, like math scores falling. Every other every other like area like falling or flat. And you know what they're deciding? No, what we need is a racial justice initiative in the schools. Like we need to make certain that every graduating student knows like every as- aspect of the Tulsa race riots. That's what they really, really, really need to know. They know nothing I, else I gotta, about yeah. like contemporary American government and how it operates. No one knows who <laughs> the names of their elected officials. Like they don't they don't know jack shit about anything. That's what we need to do. They need to understand the crimes and and the, the the awfulness of American government, so they can understand why the system needs to be destroyed at its root and and pulled down. Like, that's okay, what you, Glenn. Okay. Beck. <laughs> All right. I, I got a four fifty on my math out. SATs. Is I got a six hundred my English SATs. I got an eight hundred on my Latinx SATs, and I am. It's the right. rocket to. Rocket to the local community college. <laughs> the school's going to just fail. It is what it is. Oh, God. Oh, poor Matt. His daughter knows nothing. <laughs> Best students uh, in the seventh grade at the nice That's you, you want her to You want her to be the worst student. <laughs> you want her to like, be like, I, don't, I reject all of this. Oh, well, she's, she's lovely. And, and again, sign up for the Patreon. Or, and if you don't, it's like that National Lampoon cover with yeah. the gun to the dog's head. If you don't sign up for the Patreon, Matt's daughter becomes woke. <laughs> <laughs> she will go on uh, and with uh, Camille uh, at, at a sooner rather than later date awesome. to, uh, to do this. So, yeah, the negotiations are ongoing. I Good. mentioned that to somebody, by the way, and they were appalled and said that is horrible and exploitative. And I said, it's also hilarious, hilarious and funny. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. 
Oh God. All right. Um, so we're, I mean, we're getting to nine o'clock. I got to pack my bags. I'm packed. And I we're not getting to nine o'clock, motherfucker. We're, we're at 1145 here for me in the, not y'all in the headquarters <laughs> of the fifth column. It is near yes. midnight, motherfucker. Oh yes. my gosh. At the um, headquarters of the fifth column in New York city <laughs> where we where, where are I will be right soon. now. The next time we record yeah. together, we will all be together in one room. Y'all mm-hmm. COVID free on account of your inoculants, which have shriveled Keep up your, feeling your vaccination. Yeah. Um, um <laughs> I, I'm trying to get my second shot though. And oh, you haven't done it yet. What happened? No. Cause I you missed it. Cause up. I was on the road. Oh, you were gone. And, That's right. And so I went to the website and because, you know, the New York city government's like super efficient about everything, like really, really efficient. <laughs> um, so I, I had to put in my number, like my, my appointment number. And it said, you can't find this number in the database. And I was like, oh. Obvi- obviously, I can't find this number in the database. So I'm going to try to find somebody on the street that has like a bag of vaccines to just <laughs> give it to myself. Well, that's it's the problem. A, there, would the be, there would be a, a huge black market for these if there were, one, you know, more demand because a lot of people don't want them. Um, but if they, if they didn't have to be like super cold. Because I, I imagine, yes. I, I've been told that they're still chucking, um, or at least just trying to shove into the arm of any passing person, all of these like extra extra vials that they're defying. Like, what is wrong with these idiots? Like, if they actually are getting rid of vaccines because the cold storage is overflowing and they're trying to get into any arm, how about they put that word out there in a better way? Then, like, you know, someone walking by the Walgreens and like, we've got 20 left. Do you want to come in? And like, what? Seriously? It's hard. Don't you have a fucking Twitter account? Is there like Walgreens doesn't have a website? I mean, it's hard to do. there's literally no way of knowing this. Yeah, you got it. I've heard people getting lucky. The day before and or, or the night before and you can't, yeah. you can't put them back. It's hard. Thumb out, can't put them back. Well, you know, figure out a way to say, like, I, I'll tell you what, the bagel shop around the corner. The Dale bagels are gone at the end of the day. They come in, they give them to everybody. You can't get rid of fucking vaccines, but you can get rid of the, the everything bagel that's going to be crunchy by the morning. Good God. People are such losers. <laughs> Trying to get my second vaccine, by the way. So if you find a place, just, just give me a shout. Send me a, send me a DM. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. Follow